Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey there, thanks for listening to Leading Simple. I am Rusty George, where our goal is to keep it simple. So much information out there, so many podcasts to listen to. Let us sum it up for you as best we can. Today, we got a great conversation with a very difficult topic, and that is, are we living in the end times? A lot of people wondering that right now with the chaos in our world seems crazier than ever before, especially post-pandemic. Is this it? Are we nearing the end? Is the world going to end? Is there a battle of Armageddon coming, an apocalypse, Jesus returning, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria? Um, If you got that, good for you from Ghostbusters. Anyway, great conversation today with a great author named Douglas Cobb who goes there in an incredible new book uh, called And Then the End Will Come. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation uh, with him. Hey, we've got some really exciting news, and that is After Amen uh, has sold so well over the summer um, as people have uh, been buying books to read, and I've had a chance to go speak at a lot of churches and and talk about the content, and people are really excited about finding out where is God when we pray, and what do we do after we pray? So what we're going to do is we're going to give it to you on the cheap for 12 bucks, and all the proceeds this month are going to go to a great organization called Saving Innocence. Uh, Saving Innocence is an organization fighting to rescue kids from human trafficking. You may remember episode 162 with Alan Smith, where he talked about his work with Saving Innocence. And so here's what you can do. If you go to PastorRustyGeorge.com and you type in the code word INNOCENCE, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E, you can get one book for $12 or two for $20, and the profits are going to go to Saving Innocence. And so you want to join in with this right away. We have a limited number of books, and we want to make sure that you have a chance to be a part of this. So even if you've already purchased the book, grab a few others because the money goes to a great cause, and you can give them away for gifts. Well, today's episode is brought to you by Red Letter Challenge, uh, one of our favorite sponsors of the show because we're not only uh, people that love their sponsorship, we love their product. They have a great, great 40-day all-in church-wide series uh, called the Red Letter Challenge where they walk through the words of Jesus. There's resources for kids. There's resources for adults. If you're looking for a great, great study for your church to go through, maybe in the month of October or even as you're preparing for the beginning of 2022, this is your book. So just go to redletterchallenge.com and if you go slash rusty on that, redletterchallenge.com slash rusty, you request a free copy of the book there and uh, they'll send you one of those and you can just see how great it is. Well, excited for you to hear this conversation today with my friend Douglas Cobb. Here we go. Well, Doug, it is so great to have you with us. Um, I want to just let our listeners know a little bit about you and who you are. And I know you live in Louisville, Kentucky, so I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. But here's the first question I want you to answer. Does that mean you're a Louisville Cardinal fan or a University of Kentucky Wildcat fan? Rusty, thank you for having me. And you're you're betraying the fact that you have roots in Kentucky because you know that's the most important question you can ask a Kentuckian, right? It is. And um, I I am a a true red University of Louisville 
fan. Um, wow. My grandfather used to take me to U of L games when I was four and five years old. So okay, uh, it's I never had a choice in the matter. So that would be like uh, Denny Crum days, right? Or before that? Even before. Okay. Um, uh, back to a guy named John Dromo, uh, who nobody remembers, but yeah, back way back in time. Wow. Well, typically people from Louisville say, well, Louisville football, but UK basketball. So yeah, I, <laughs> That's right. A lot more UK fans, I'm afraid, but um, yes. us UofL fans, we hang together. So. I respect that you are true red, so to speak. So so good for you. Okay. Tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners get a, an idea because you do ministry, but you're not in ministry and you've got quite a bit of a business background. So uh, give us an update on who you are. Yeah, so um, married to Gina for 40 years. Um, Gina is a Bible study fellowship teaching leader. And if you know the ministry of BSF, you know that means I'm married to a colonel in the special forces. So, um, you know, <laughs> she's a she's a Bible, a really great Bible teacher. Um, we have three uh, kids, uh, 35, 33, and 30. Our 30-year-old's about to get married in a couple of weeks, so we're really mm. excited about that. Uh, really nice young man's going to be her husband. Um, my career has been in in business and startups and early stage companies. Um, started a company a long time ago in my 20s, sold that, took some of those proceeds and invested in some other startups and you know, just had different roles in the kind of the growth company startup world around uh, where I live here in, in Louisville. Um, and if you've been in that business, you know, not everything you try works, but enough stuff did that it was a good career for me. Uh, over the last few years, I've found myself more and more spending my time on ministry stuff, serving as an elder at my church, teaching my Sunday school class, and then my involvement with um, you know the Great Commission, uh, the Finishing Fund, and other parts of that that work. So um, it's been an interesting life. I never imagined I'd end up doing what I'm doing now, but it, it's it's uh, I tell my wife almost every day, I can't believe I get to do what I get to do. Now, you mentioned Finishing Fund, and I had that on my notes I wanted to ask you about, but that's a pretty fascinating idea. Um, and, and I think it probably stems from the fact that Jesus said that you know his return won't be until you know all, all nations have been reached. Yes. Um, and so the idea from a lot of people is, okay, let's reach all nations, and then we can kind of not force the hand of God, but we can kind of prepare the way. Tell us a little bit about Finishing Fund and what your mission is. Um, I've been for much of my life a, a disciple of a guy named Paul Eshelman, who was the Jesus film uh, developer inside of Crew and the head of that ministry for many, many years. Um, and when he left there, he started a ministry called Finishing the Task, FTT. And the task is the task of you know, taking the gospel to every nation. Paul is has just really devoted his life to the mission of getting the gospel to every people group on the face of the earth. Through that connection with Paul, I started, Gina and I started doing some giving to support uh, ministry workers, missionaries who would go to a new people group for the first time with the gospel. And and we we got so captivated with that, that, you know, I thought, how can we do more of, of that? You know, I don't have enough money to do all this myself. And plus, that's not what God would want to happen. And so from my uh, startup world days, the idea of sort of a venture capital fund for the Great Commission uh, came to mind. God put that on my mind. If we can bring together a group of partners who would pool some of our resources 
and then support ministries who would take the gospel for the first time to people groups that had never heard it before. Maybe we could help speed this process along by, you know, helping those ministries uh, fund much more rapidly than they could do it on their their own. Mm. Um, most of these ministries are pretty small. To raise a hundred thousand dollars might take them a couple of years, you know, for a special project. We can raise that money quickly and you know help them get started fast. And it has been an amazing um, experience. We've been at this a little more than three years. We've helped send the gospel now to over 500 people groups. Um, you know, it, it's just been remarkable what God has allowed us to do through this this partnership. Mm, that is fantastic. You got a website for that we can direct people to? We do. Um, if you just go to www.finishingfund.org, um, finishingfundoneword.org, Mm. Uh, it'll tell you everything about the about the fund, but um, yeah, it's been an amazing experience to kind of be on the front lines of what's happening with the with the Great Commission. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. Okay, so I, I want to ask you about your book because okay, um, I think one of the uh, most talked about things over the last year, especially through the COVID season and all of our pandemics from you know the economy, the government, the election. And of course, the uh, mental health crisis, and then of course, COVID. Um, everybody's wondering: Is this it? Is this? Are these the end times? Are we almost done? Is Jesus coming back soon? And you wrote a book called "And Then the End Will Come." Uh, I, I want to know what's what sparked this book, and then just tell us about a little bit about the journey of where the book takes us, and then I want to ask you about some of the details of it. So um, thank you. That's that's a great question. The um, through this work I've been doing with the Great Commission, um, I'm aware of how close we are to the day where there will be disciples of Jesus in every people group on earth. Now I always say by God's grace, because you know, as His Word says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So it all happens by by His. But the work is proceeding at an amazing pace of. 12,000 people groups on earth. Um, there are only a few hundred left that we know there are no believers and no churches in those groups, uh, just a few hundred. Hmm. When, when Paul started finishing the task in 2005, there were 3,500 people groups with more than 700 million people in them that nobody had ever been to with the gospel. No believers, no churches, no history with Jesus at all. And here we are 16 years later, and we're down to just a few hundred. Um, wow. Probably it's a little rough to measure it exactly, but I, I would think about 400 maybe. Um, and I just told you that in the finishing fund over the course of three years, we've helped send the gospel to 500. So the, the pace of engagement is very high, very rapid. So that's exciting, um, if for no other reason that this is what Jesus told us to do, right? He said, go and make disciples of all nations and so we're getting close to having accomplished what he set us set his church to do but it's particularly exciting because um in matthew uh, chapter 24 verse 14 he linked his return to the completion of this task you referred to this a few minutes ago um he said you know this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come um it's really a direct answer to a question that his disciples ask. If you go back to verse three in that chapter, they basically ask, this is the Doug paraphrase version, but they ask, when are you coming back? 
And he says a lot of things in chapter 24 that people are familiar with, you know, signs in nature, signs in the heavens, apostasy in the church. There's a bunch of things he mentions. But the definitive milestone he pro- provides is the completion of this Great Commission task that he's given us. I, I have found this highly motivating in the work I do with the Finishing Fund. And um, it led me to start thinking about whether to start searching if there are other signs in the scriptures that might similarly indicate that we're living in the day of Jesus' return. And so I did that. And then one day last summer, God said, you got to write this down. And I did. And that's the that's where the book comes from. Mm, that's amazing. I, lo- I love that premise. I think it's so timely. I think it really fits into what it is that we're dealing with right now in culture. Um, and I have a variety of questions about that. Okay. So in the book, you talk about 10 clues yes. uh, that might be directing us towards the reality of this. You know, what's the most important clue that you see? Well, I think it's the one we've been talking about um, for several reasons. Um, one, it's the it's probably the one that is the most clear in terms of setting a definitive milestone that has to be accomplished. Um, uh, it's also clearly an answer to the very question that we're talking about. You know, we want to know when Jesus is coming back. The disciples wanted to know that. This is the answer that he gave them uh, about that. But, you know, one thing that I find um, uh, a little sad is that, you know, I talk to people about this all the time as I'm recruiting new partners into the finishing fund. And very few people, in my experience in the church, have any idea about any of the things we've just talked about, about the how close we are to the finish line, how fast the work is taking place. Um, you know, I, I believe that um, every people group on earth will be engaged with the gospel by the end of next year, by the end of 2022. All, mm. all 400 that haven't heard will hear. Um, and, um, you know, there'll still be work to do after that. You know, we'll keep working until Jesus comes back, but we're really close. Few people understand that. And sadly, I think that means that, um, you know, people tend to be viewing what's happening culturally, uh, politically as, you know, all bad news. Uh, Mm. and there's, you know, there's reasons to be really excited about the times that we're living in. You know, there's reasons to think that good things are, right around the corner, really good things. And, um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, I just, I, I want more people to be aware of uh, what I think are you know, the remar- remarkable times in which we live. Okay. So immediately when we start talking about end times, everybody thinks revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's different views out there on that. It might be there are. literal, it might be figurative. It might be mm-hmm. just about Babylon and the times in which John lived. Um, you don't even mention it until towards the end of the book. Why'd you wait so long in your in your book? Yeah, you know, a lot of for one reason because I think that book's been written a thousand times. You know, a, a lot of people are are interested in trying to explore Revelation and figure out what's going to happen during the kind of the sequence of end times events, and that's mysterious. Like you say, there's lots of different interpretations of that. People have different beliefs about it. Um, what I'm really helping to do is I'm looking at other clues in the Bible that might give us a sense about how close we are to the beginning of those revelation events taking place. So at the last chapter, as I talk about the things that are to come, you know, I, I delve into this a little bit. We talk about the revelation and I talk about it the way I, I my personally think it's going to unfold. 
Um, but really, that's not what the book is about. Really, the book is about, let's look at all these other clues in the scriptures that say those things are, are close to, to coming. Okay, so you may, we've already talked about some of the 10 clues, but I love the way you frame that because, all right, let's set Revelation aside. Mm-hmm. Leading up to that, give us a few of these other clues that might be indicators. Yeah, uh, there, there's a couple of those that are, you know, really, really important. Um, some of them are, you know, things that are happening kind of historically. So chapter four of the book delves into the restoration of the country of Israel, um, which is interestingly one of the most prophesied events in the Old Testament that Israel would be regathered. Um, and it is, when you really look at it, when you when you dig into it a little bit, it is one of the most preposterous things that's ever happened in history, you know, that this group of people would be um, run out of their homeland, scattered around the world, persecuted as a minority for 2000 years, and then kind of mysteriously and uh, with great opposition, begin to be regathered into their homeland. And, you know, a new nation, a, a new old nation is reestablished. Literally, there's one quote in the book from a guy who studies this who said it's like literally that's never happened before in history Hmm. but god said it was going to happen he prophesied it um you know and talked about it uh all through the old testament uh and um you know so it's it's a clearly um you know prophesied sign of the the coming of the the end times wow okay so israel i mean you hear about this all the time continues to play a really big part in our understanding of the return of christ um Tell us a little bit about maybe some of the the clues that might have been a little shocking to you when you began to research this. You know, one that I uh, really, um, really enjoy, and I think it's one that people can really relate to, uh, Daniel chapter 12 is um, kind of the revelation of the Old Testament. You know, Mm -hmm. it's all about the events of the end times. And it's an important chapter. It's it's where the understanding of the resurrection came from. You know, when Martha tells Jesus, yeah, I know we'll all be resurrected on that day. Uh, she probably understood that from Daniel chapter 12. It speaks about that. It speaks about the great tribulation um, in that chapter. Verse four of that chapter uh, refers to the fact that in the end times, two things will be characteristic of the end times. Travel will increase. It says people will move to and fro and knowledge will increase. Hmm. And, you know, in the book, we explore these things and, you know, we start to say, we start by saying, Look, you know, until call it 1800, nobody in the world had ever gone faster than you could move uh, on a running horse, you know, a galloping horse, maybe 30 miles an hour or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you get trains and suddenly people are traveling at, you know, 50 and 60 and, oh my gosh, even 80 miles an hour. And then in the, you know, we, airplanes come along and by the 1930s, people are flying at 200 miles an hour and then jets come and it's 600 miles an hour, you know? And these are things that people couldn't have imagined um, a couple of hundred years ago. And if you look at the result of that, uh, it's almost like a hockey, it is a hockey stick really of the international travel that is taking place today compared to even 50 years ago and mm-hmm. ridiculous compared to 200 years ago. One of the stories I tell in there is um, my last trip to India, I got on a plane at Newark at 930 at night and woke up uh, the next night about nine o'clock in Delhi, about a 14 hour trip. Uh, When the missionaries, the first missionaries went to uh, India, they'd get on a boat 
and it would take them four or five months to get there. Mm. You know, it's just unprecedented how much faster travel is uh, today. Mm. And knowledge is the same thing. You know, if you just think about, I'm 63. You think about all of the the, the um, technologies that have been developed in my lifetime. Some of them have been developed and obsoleted, like you know CDs. You know, uh, they just didn't exist when I was a kid. They've come and gone. You know, uh, in that time, but the medical procedures, uh, you know, the internet, communication technologies, um, just, you know, a, an amazing array of that. There's a, a guy named Buckminster Fuller. He was a little bit of an eccentric, but he, he got this right, who came up with this idea of the accelerating acceleration of human knowledge. Hmm. And um, the idea that the doubling rate of knowledge has been increasing at an increasing rate over time. And we now live in a time when the doubling rate of information may be measured in days or you know weeks, maybe even in hours. You know that's how rapidly new information is coming online. So, uh, you know, here's a kind of an interesting clue in Daniel chapter twelve, verse four, that you know two characteristics of the time of the end would be rapidly increasing travel and rapidly increasing knowledge, and both of those things are very characteristic of the of the time in which we live. Hey, everybody, let me take just a moment to interrupt our conversation to tell you about something really cool we're doing in September. Uh, We want to support this great organization called Saving Innocence. They work to rescue kids from human trafficking in Southern California. And so we want to benefit Saving Innocence by um, giving profits from After Amen uh, to them. So if you will go to PastorRustyGeorge.com and buy a copy of After Amen for the reduced rate of 12 bucks, it's I think over 15 on Amazon, we're going to give profits to Saving Innocence, a great way to support Saving Innocence and maybe a great gift to give somebody else. That's the book, After Amen, What to Do While Waiting on God. For $12, PastorRustyGeorge.com. Simply use the promo code SI, the letters SI for Saving Innocence, and we'll be able to support this great organization called Saving Innocence. All right, back to our show. Okay, so I kind of grew up in a church and a church tradition that viewed end times conversation as a little bit of wackiness, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little hocus pocus. It's a little bit like, remember the book Bible Code when that came out? And we're trying to read all these different things into the Bible as if it, you know, at the time everybody said it talked about Bill Clinton. Uh, Now we're saying Revelation mentions Donald Trump. Uh, there's a lot of little, you know, ways people look at it and sometimes can take it out of, out of context. And, you know, why, why do you think biblical prophecy, which is a, a, an actual thing, um, has kind of been relegated to just fables and superstition? Well, you know, I, that's a great question. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, one is that, you know, Jesus himself said in, um, Matthew chapter 24, that, you know, no one knows the the day or the hour. And, um, and you've got this metaphor of the thief in the night, you know, that uh, shows up o- over and over again in the New Testament. And I think people have um, maybe, maybe overemphasized those verses uh, to say it's not possible to know anything about the timing of Jesus' return. So why, do we, why would we waste our time uh, on that? Uh, what's interesting, though, is that in... Um, in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus' disciples ask him, when are you coming back? He gives them an answer. I mean, he doesn't name a, a year or a, a month uh, or a day, but he says, look, I've given you a job to do. 
when you finish it, that's when I'm coming back. So he gave him a, a good milestone, right? That's good. He gave him all these other signs in Matthew chapter 24 as well. Uh, and he says, you know, at the end of that chapter, when you see these things, uh, you'll know that the end is, is near. So I, I think it's probably right that it's a waste of time to try to pick a year or a day or uh, an hour. You know, I, I don't do that in the book. It's not the point. But I think it's very clear scripturally that um, we can have an understanding of the season of his return, that, you know, there are signs that he's given us that the other places in scripture have given us that show us uh, those those things. So one reason is because it's just, you know, people have overemphasized those teachings. I think another one is, is just such an area of disagreement. You know, Revelation is a hard book to understand. Um, you know, prophecy is mysterious. I think God intentionally makes it mysterious. And so probably a lot of people say, look, I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not smart enough or I'm not going to pick that fight. You know, it's not worth it. Um, and I think that's unfortunate as well. You know, I, I don't want to pick a fight with anybody about what they believe about the end times. We'll all know soon enough, I think. But, um, <laughs> but I don't think that should discourage us from wanting to understand this promise of Jesus, you know, return. The first chapter of the book, uh, Rusty, is called He Is Coming Back, right? Because right. that's one thing that I think all of us can agree on. And, you know, it's it's one of the most prophesied things in the, the Bible, certainly in the New Testament. And, you know, we can all agree that that is going to happen. Uh, okay, let's let's dive in deep on some of these, ter- these terms that we, we have heard. <clears throat> when it comes to understanding end times and especially Revelation, there have been basically three schools of thought, and one is that it's kind of a the, the premillennialist view, then there's the postmillennialist, and then there's the amillennialist. Can you just walk our listeners through what those three perspectives are and how they differ from one another? Well, it all has to do with, you know, the sequence of events in the end times, right? There are, you know, two or three um important um, sort of, I guess, events that, you know, all are prophesied to take place in the last days. One of those is what's called the rapture. And some people believe uh, that, you know, uh, that's that's prophesied in First and Second Thessalonians that, you know, the church will be gathered to meet Jesus in the air. Some people think that will happen at one point in time. Some people think it'll happen in another point of time. There's different opinions about that. So the rapture is one. Another is um, the Great Tribulation, uh, this seven-year period, most people think seven-year period of God pouring out wrath on the earth. That's a lot of what Revelation uh, prophesies. It's not the only place, but it's it's one of the key places. A third one is this idea of the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, the latter chapters of Revelation talk about this idea that there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ on the um, on the earth, he'll literally sit on the throne in uh, in Jerusalem on the throne of David and rule the earth from there. Now, I just explained that I thought that think that's literal. I tipped my hand on my my point of view. Uh, that would be um, characteristic of, of people who you know think that the literal thousand-year reign is a literal thousand-year reign when the Bible talks about that. The amillennial position, uh, the, you know, I, I hate to apologize for a point of view I don't hold. I hope I'm do, uh, will do justice to it. Would would say that we are currently living really in the millennial age. That um, you know, the kingdom of God has come and it is expanding in the earth, and 
things are going to get better and better under under his as his church expands and grows, reaches the all the nations. And so that the millennium shouldn't be viewed as a literal thousand year reign, but is symbolic of, um, you know, kind of the current church, uh, church age. The view I would hold, which is a, a um, you know, a literal millennial pre-tribulation view would put the order of events like this. There'll be a rapture, then there'll be a tribulation. Jesus will come back with the church. He'll set up his thousand year reign. Uh, at the end of that, then the new heavens, the new earth will be ushered in and the new Jerusalem will uh, come down from heaven. And that will be, be the beginning of our eternal existence with, uh, with Jesus. Mm. Okay. Now I find this fascinating for a variety of reasons, but one, I happen to know that you have an opinion and a viewpoint that's different than your home church. I do well. Then my my pastor, at least, I, I'm not pastor. sure if we did a okay. survey. So not, you know, that's just such a great thing for people to hear because I think we we lump so many things into the essential and important circle. Yes, that we break fellowship with people when they don't have our similar uh, perspective. I, I always tell people, listen, we believe Jesus. <laughs> you know, it was was God in the flesh, died on the cross, came back from the dead. The rest, we're all kind of just guessing on until we get to the other side. So obviously there's some important things, but they're not essential. How have you made peace with that, being a part of a church that doesn't always share your particular perspective? Well, you know, um, one of the things I love about my church, Southeast Christian Church um, in Louisville, I, I jokingly call it a a refugee church. Um, mm. It seems like everybody who goes to Southeast has a background in some other faith. Um, we jokingly say that Southeast Christian is probably the biggest Catholic church in the state of Kentucky yeah. because we have a lot of people who grew up in from Catholic backgrounds. I personally grew up in the mainstream Presbyterian church, and we've got people from all over the place. And one of the reasons I think that works in our church, uh, and in fact, in sort of our movement, your church and ours are from the same kind of historical roots, mm-hmm. is that... Um, we are what I jokingly call doctrine light. Um, you know, there's a few things that are really important that we think it's important to agree on. And, you know, we're going to be pretty, pretty strong on those things. And then there's a bunch of other things that, um, you know, look, we can be very flexible about because we don't see them as essential or central. And certainly uh, for us, you know, eschatology, you know, the study of the end times would fall into that, that category. So, you know, and creation, you know, creationism would be another one. Right. You know, I think people have different theories. Is it a gap or is it literal years or is it, you know, long days? You know, I mean, there's different. OK, we're we're not going to have to pro- have a problem around those things. So yeah. I think, you know, um, I, I think that's good. I love it about our church. It sounds like your church is kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. My, my pastor, Kyle Adelman, who is also my friend, uh, was one of the first readers of my book. And he, he would have a different point of view than I would have and that the book you know, presents. I was really encouraged that he said, you know, even though we differ on this, I felt very welcome in the book. And I didn't feel like you were you know, unnecessarily picking fights about these issues. He said, I think it's something that can appeal to people with sort of a multiple of eschatological points of view. Yeah, and I would echo that. I would tell our listeners that if you have no clue about the end times or if you have a strong opinion about the end times, this book is is good for everybody because it, it presents such such great insight. And I love the fact that you went with, we're not going to know the day and the hour, but we are going to know the season 
Um, I always think about uh, back in 1988, there was a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. And there was a specific day, October, I can't remember the date, but I, I was in high school at the time. I was working in a, in a video store and I went to work that day and my boss was all dressed up which is very uncommon for <laughs> he was her. Ready to meet Jesus. Yeah, and she's watching a movie about <laughs> angels. So I, she said, I just want to be ready. <laughs> so that was rather specific, and obviously they missed it. And there's there's history with that with other with other doctor or uh, denominations. But I love the fact that you just took the season approach and 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 really start giving some clues, which I found to be really really insightful. You bring up something, and I want to ask you about this, um, the, the astronomical side of things and the eclipses mm-hmm. that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. How does that tie into the second coming? You know, um, a lot of people look to those things, and I did a lot of research around them to try to figure out you know, whether I thought there was anything to those or not. But, you know, um, in, in fact, if you look at the way Jesus talks about those things, um, there's a group of things he talks about wars and rumors of wars and false messiahs and um, signs in the heavens. He really talks about those as things that are going to be prevalent throughout history and that we shouldn't get too excited about them as signs of the, you know, of his imminent return. And if you think about it, that's actually how things have unfolded, right? Uh, warfare sadly has been characteristic of, you know, human civilization from, from the beginning, it's you know common, and yeah, I mean there have never been wars quite like World War One and Two, the Cold War. I mean things have been different in the twentieth century, so you know that's interesting. But you know, really, warfare has been characteristic of the world all along. There have always been eclipses and signs in the heavens. Uh, people have always reacted to those apocalyptically. You know, when they see a meteor shower or something like that, right. both Christians and pagans alike. And I really think what Jesus was saying about some of those signs was, don't get too excited about those. Those are not really the most important things. Now, having said that, though, I want to make sure there's another class of things uh, that, as I understand them, will take place late in the Great Tribulation. There will be heavenly signs, uh, and those will be signs of his imminent, you know, um, second coming. Uh, But they will by that time it'll be very evident what's going on so they're not gonna they're not gonna tip much new information if they're going to sort of just be in the sequence of things that would be my personal view of how those things unfold mm. well it's fascinating it's a fascinating book um you can get it on amazon again the title is and then the end will come douglas cobb i think is how you are listed there uh we want to make sure everybody can pick up that book and grab a copy and read it through. It's just, it's really, really fascinating stuff. And I find that even if you are um, somebody that has people in your family that aren't all that really religious, as you might say, or uh, they, they all want to know, you know, how will this all end? You know, are, is this all going to just blow up one day? Um, it's a great read and a great way to open up some conversations about that. Okay. Last question. Uh, if Jesus is coming back in our lifetime, what do Christians need to do to be prepared? Yeah, that's uh, that's chapter 11, and it's a really important chapter um, because the Bible has a lot to say about, you know, being ready for this this day. Really, a verse that I've adopted as a personal theme verse, two verses in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter starts that chapter by talking about the coming judgment, and he says in, in verse 11 and 12, um, what kind of people ought we to be in light of the coming judgment? What kind of people ought we to be? And he says, we should live holy and godly lives, 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Four instructions, you know, holy, set apart, different from our culture, godly, like God, fruit of the spirit in increasing measure in the lives of his people. <clears throat> looking for that day, being excited and enthusiastic to think that, you know, ours might be the generation to experience that. What an incredible privilege that will be. And then that fourth part, hastening the coming of the day, that's the mystery, right? How, what in the world can we do to, to hasten the coming of the day of God? Well, in my reading of it, I've, I think I understand what that means. You know, um, back to the start of our conversation, he's given us a job to do before he'll come back, tell everybody in the world uh, about Jesus, get the gospel to every people group on earth. And I think hastening is coming means getting that done as fast as we can move to get it done. That's certainly what I'm trying to do through the, the finishing fund. Um, it's, you know, to become part of my mission. But everybody really can have a role in that, whether it's um, praying, you know, for uh, the gospel to spread, the kingdom to spread. Or for some people, maybe that would be going, um, you know, taking a role, personal role, vocational role. And for many people that could be giving, you know, to support the work of seeing the gospel spread, seeing the Bible translated. Mm. Um, so, you know, let's live holy and godly lives looking for and hastening the coming of that day. Well, I think, uh, I think I would agree with you on, on not only that, but just how, how much closer we are than ever before. The, the rapid movement of getting the gospel into certain people groups, I had not heard that information, but I do know how quick we are or how close we are to translating the Bible into every every single language. In fact, yeah. the Bible translators were predicting by 2050 it would be done, but now with the version Bible app, I mean, 400 million downloads or whatever, I mean, we are getting the word out there. It is, uh, it is exponentially uh, moving quicker than it ever has before. So, Absolutely right. Doug, thank you so much. This is really exciting, re really encouraging, and, um, and, and really it should be inspiring for us to be a part of this mission. Now more than ever, our time, our effort, our resources should be spent on preparing the way of the Lord and getting people ready for this incredible day. In the words of John at the end of Revelation, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, yeah. Well, thanks so much for listening. As always, share this with a friend. That would mean the world to me. And if you'd rate this podcast or review it, that would be fantastic as well. I'd love to hear from you. You can DM me on Instagram at Rusty L. George. Next week, oh boy, we've got a great conversation with Dave Dummett. He's a pastor that I've known for years. And he is the guy that followed the legend at Willow Creek Community Church. And he talks about following this legend, uh, dealing with a scandal, and dealing with haters, and how to build trust. So whether you're a church leader or just a leader in a church, um, just a person trying to figure out how to deal with the craziness of uh, the cancel culture, Dave's your guy. It's going to be a great conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it. Until next week, keep it simple, everybody. Talk to you then. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.